verses out of Luke chapter 2. Get as close as you can there. And when the time came for the purification of And when the time the time came for the purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves are two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem who was named Simon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him, according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting a servant depart in the peace according to the your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Woo! Yes, sir. Well done, Jude. Love you, buddy. Well, welcome. My name's Josh. I'm one of the pastors here. Before I get into it, it's a shorter message, just so you know. Lots of people holding babies. I get it. Uh, but one of our traditions, Advent giving. So you may be here as a guest. If it's your first time, we don't want you to give any money. Uh, but we do want to make you aware of what we're giving to above and beyond as a church. So we've got a couple church planners. That means men and women, families are deciding to move away from what they're comfortable with and go plant a church. So here's a picture of the two families. So McMillan family down on the right there uh, are from Sacramento, but they've been working for Redemption Tucson for the last few years, and they feel called to go back to their hometown, Sacramento, to start a church starting in 2024. And then top left is Juan and Tina Chavez, sweet friends of ours, their kids. They've been living in Tolleson, far west side. They're moving to South Phoenix, where Juan uh, became a Christian, actually, after a life of rebellion. And uh, we, some of us know the deal. But he wants to move back to right there, Cesar Chavez High School area, and plant a church starting in 2024. So what we're doing with this Advent offering is giving above and beyond, and all the money is just going to be split equally and sent to the McMillan family and then sent to the Chavez family. If you want to give, you can scan that. Again, no pressure, or there's a slide with a few other ways. If you're old school like my dad and write checks still, uh, you can write a check and you can put it in the giving box, just mark Advent Offering. But that's what we're doing. We'll send an email out this week for end of year giving. But if you feel like I have some lots of money sitting here, I'd like to give it to something. Is there a worthy cause? Nothing is better for a community, for a family, for a child, for an adult, for an addict than a healthy local church, a spot that someone can get to and hear Jesus preach. People love that. You just heard Andy. That's what we all need is we need a community of people pointing us to Jesus. And that's what those men and those families are trying to do. So that's our Advent offering we have coming up. So I'd love for you to be a part of it. Again, if it's your first time, no pressure. We're not taking any notes. Um, that being said, we get to walk into this little Christmas message about waiting. And I feel for you kids. Back in my day, I didn't grow up in church, but Nana, when she was in town, she took us to Catholic Mass. And we'd go to Midnight Mass. And it was terribly boring. However, the only saving grace was it was at midnight on Christmas Eve. So as soon as I got home, it's like 1, 1.30 in the morning, and I'm dead asleep. And then it's like feels like the next moment I wake up, and it's Christmas. You poor kids. It is... 11 a.m. on Christmas Eve. You still have lunch, 
afternoon chores, snacks, dinner, grandma time. Grand, you got a long way just to get through Christmas Eve. So I, on the front end, I apologize. It only happens every seven years. Next year, we'll have Christmas Eve back in a nighttime service. But you got a long way. That being said, I want to give out some gifts, mainly to kids, but any adults that feel like they're kids at heart, to some trivia on long waits in life. I do this every year. I wear my old man coat, and I put gifts in it and give it to the little kids. So here's the first trivia question about long waits. Disneyland, I've been once. It was awesome. Space Mountain, Indiana Jones, Star Wars, Rise of the Resistance, Splash Mountain. Which of those will you wait longest in? Raise your hand. It could be anyone. We got Miss Paisley in the back. Do you have an answer, my dear? She says Star Wars, Rise of the Resistance. Is she correct? Oh, 72. Do you have some of those good parents that have taken you to Disneyland? Is that? Yeah, oh yeah. My, my kids don't have that. This is for the millennials, 26-ish year olds. This was the set of a few of your movies. How long did Pixar make you wait for a sequel? We've got Cars and then The Great Cars 2, which is even better. Incredibles, Incredibles 2 is incredible. All these sequels are amazing. Which one took the longest? We got over here. What do you say, my dear? not Toy Story. Guess again. What did she say? She says it's the Incredibles. Is she correct? Come on and get up. You are absolutely. So some kids were like five. Incredibles came out and they had to wait till they were out of high school to see the sequel they've been waiting for. That's a long, long time. Now to the jocks in the room. Sports. Sports, sports, sports. Which team has been waiting longest for a Super Bowl win? Is it the Mighty Chiefs? Is it the Lions? Is it the Cardinals? Is it the Jaguars? Dario Alcantar, father of Christopher, do you have an answer? He says the Cardinals, that is offensive and 100% correct. Come get it, even with your kid. Chiefs have waited zero years. Dario, come get your gift card. Cardinals, 76 years of waiting. Sitting next to a bunch of Lions fans. Is Dane Ventrone in the room? And then my main Jaguars fan right there. You've been waiting 30 years, your entire adult life. Next up, basketball. Oh, Ozzy, you're adorable. Which team has been waiting longest for the NBA championship? Is it the Pistons of Detroit, the Sacktown Kings, the Phoenix Suns, or the Utah Jazz? Another Dane Ventrone shout-out. Ozzy, what is it? He says, Suns, I'll give you one more try. Try another one. <laughs> what is it? Kings. <laughs> Say Kings. Kings it is, Ozzy! <laughs> Great job, Dutch bro, 72 years. Now this is for anyone in the room, this is just family trivia, grandparents in the room, used to have to wait to watch TV, unlike us schlubs these days. Back in the day, when you're watching a series, how long did you have to wait to see the next show in line in this series? Was it one day? Was it one month? Was it one minute? Was it one week? We've got these cute young men here with Miss Jordan, Auntie Jordan. What do you say? How long? One week. So people used to have to wait seven days to see the next show. That is absolutely correct. Good job. Well done. You can share it with that man sitting next to you, I think. Dutch bros. Yes, it is. 
Here's what's like the most, duh, uh, no kidding, common sense statement anyone could ever make. Nobody likes waiting. Nobody like says, in the top three things in my life that I really enjoy, waiting, stubbing my toe, and it's like waiting is always done. Nobody likes waiting. Psychologists have studied how do we fix this problem. You don't. You just, here's the top two ways people deal with waiting. This is how businesses build their drive throughs and their wait systems. This is what Disneyland thinks about. Don't wait alone, or it's worse, or distract yourself from the thing you're actually waiting for so you don't think about it because it's miserable to wait. Now, what does that have to do with Christmas? It has everything to do with Christmas. The Christmas story is this Christmas story of God having a people that have to wait for good gifts. Christmas, Advent, the word Advent, if you're not a church person, I didn't grow up in the church, I heard these words later, kind of like Andy, I thought you all were weird, and now I'm your pastor, so we're in this together now. Advent means arrival, coming. People of God have been waiting for an arrival. And as we enter the Christmas story, we do not want to distract ourselves. Some of you are pretty distracted in the month of December. If the focus is Jesus, we don't want to distract. We want to go into the story and see how the people of God have waited from the beginning. What we're doing today, what Jude just read, is this story about this older man who just shows up for a little blip named Simeon. The only way the Bible describes him is the man who was waiting. He's the guy waiting. We want to learn two lessons from our boy Simeon on waiting. How do we wait? So that's what we're doing. It'll be short and sweet, I promise, but that's what we're talking about, waiting. So again, quick Bible lesson. The Bible starts in Genesis. It ends in Revelation. It's not a quick-moving book. It took thousands of years to be written. It was written in over multiple continents, three different languages. It's a slow-moving thing. And each character sort of exemplifies the idea that waiting is a part of God's plan for us. Like, for example, Noah. What's Noah famous for? Paisley? He built an ark. He built a boat. How long was he? Was it a speedboat? Was it like an afternoon trip? God made him wait on the boat with his family and animals for 150 days. I'm not a big boat person, but that sounds terrible. 150 days of waiting. Fast forward. Abraham is this, like the main character in the book of Genesis. What's he known for? Something very odd that we don't see ever these days. He was 100 years old before God gave him a kid. He did not adopt his own child. 100 years, 10 decades of waiting. I had my first son at 27, my last one in my early 30s. I can't imagine seven decades from then having a kid and that being my first. But that's what God did with the father of the faith, Abraham. Fast forward to Joseph. He's a little brother. He had to wait a long, long time. His brothers sell him into slavery. It's a really awful story. He's like a teenager, 13 years old. By the time he gets out, he's in his 30s. God made him wait almost two decades to save him, to rescue him. And then Moses is like a key character in this. Even if you're not a church person, you've probably heard of Moses. What did he do? He was to take the people of God out of Egypt. Here's Egypt on a map, and Israel's right above it. Just go across and get out of here. How long did it take Moses, who was 80 years old when it started, to go from Egypt into Israel? 40 years. The worst family camping trip ever. 40 years. They think there was about 2.5 million people wandering. 40 years. I've camped at most for five days, and I love it. 40 years. Pick up, let's go. Pick up, let's go. Pick up, let's go. Is the waiting ever going to stop? And then you get to the end of the Old Testament, and it closes. God, like, puts his pen down of the story he's writing. And then how long before the New Testament, when God picks his pen up to start writing the story, the Christmas story we're in now, 
The gap between those two is 400 years. Now, what's happening in those 400 years? I'll tell you exactly what's happening. It's what's happening in this room right now in some of your hearts. Most of the people are just distracting themselves rather than facing the bigger questions of life. Even the Jewish people who are at the center of God's story, they're distracting themselves. But there seems to be a few, like a remnant of people, who are waiting, anticipating, hoping that God is not done with them yet. And then you open up the New Testament in Luke and Matthew, we see the birth scene of Jesus. I just want to give you a picture. We're not going to rehash it. It's the nativity scene. Most people have one of these. We have one. Ours is way less organized than that. That's obviously a house with only girls. They don't have any boys. <laughs> but you get Joseph. You get Mary. You get baby Jesus. You get some wise men, whatever they like. We get some angel-type creatures, and we get whatever few animals they want to fit into your nativity scene. That's the opening of Luke, the gospel, and Matthew, the gospel. But what did you just read? It's about a month later. So baby Jesus is still a baby. He's about a month old. And then we enter into what we're going to read through today. Let's look at the screen here. Verse 22 through 24. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb, so firstborn, shall be called holy to the Lord. And now to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. What's happening here? They're going to do a child dedication. If you're a part of this church, we have families up on stage and we dedicate them to the Lord in front of their church family. That's essentially what they're doing Jewish style. And they bring these animals, kind of pathetic animals, because they're a poor family. They bring pigeons, the bottom of the food chain, but they, that's what they could bring to offer a sacrifice to say, this is our child. This is where we're at. And what do they encounter as they leave the nativity scene and go to the temple for this child dedication? This man who's only described as the waiting one. Let's read it together. Verse 24, 25 through 26. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. What was Simeon waiting for? Very simple. If we kind of take away all the extra words, there was this man, Simeon, and he's simply described as he's the one waiting for the consolation of Israel. Does he have a wife? Does he have kids? What was his job? He's just waiting. Waiting for what? The consolation of Israel. Now, in my everyday vernacular words, I don't use consolation a lot. But what is consol consolation? It's to console someone. It's to help, to encourage, to comfort, to pick up someone who's down. So Simeon, this old man, some folklore thinks he's 100 years old. He's been waiting his whole life, whatever it is. If he was 50, 60, 70, 100, he's waiting for the comfort, someone to pick him up. And where's he waiting? He's waiting with this specific thing in mind of Israel. He's waiting for help, and he's waiting for that help to come from and through Israel. That brings up just two basic questions. Why? Do we need help? Some of you came in here well aware of your deepest need in life. Some of you are still unaware. And you have it pinned on a variety of things. Relationships, well, my job or life circumstances. I've always had kind of the bad hand given to me. And there are truths to all that. 
However, as you zero in on the world and its problem, if you go to its nucleus, it is this. The Bible calls it sin and brokenness, rebellion. In the beginning, God created everything perfect, Adam and Eve, and he puts them in a garden to cultivate and to make this world wonderfully beautiful, just like that garden. And he says, but please, please, just listen to me. Of that tree, please do not eat. And they heard what he said, they knew what he said, and they did the exact opposite of what he said. That's called sin. And in that moment, there's like this invisible fracture that goes through the universe, and everything's broken. Immediately, God and man are separate now. There is no longer face-to-face relationship with God, our creator. Why? Because sin. Now, every human relationship, marriage, ex-spouse, kids, Big brother, little sister, whatever it is, every relationship is broken. That's why tomorrow we're going to go open up presents. We're going to have this great time, and there's going to be fights amongst people who love those people more than any other people on the whole earth, and we're fighting on the most beautiful, bright, glorious day, Christmas. Why? Because sin. Everything is broken. Ourselves are broken. We never are totally comfortable in our own skin in this world here now. Why? Because sin broke it all. And Simeon is waiting for the consolation, the help to fix what sin has broken. Now, here's the second question. Why Israel? I mean, think about it. That's a very specific ethnic group. We don't like when specific ethnic groups get called out and brought up to a higher place. In fact, we don't want that. And yet God, in his infinite wisdom and storytelling, has called out Israel as the group from which help would come. Why? If you don't have that answer, you don't have the answer to all of life. Why Israel? Were they better? Were they smarter? Were they more moral, more pure, higher character, better? What was the reason for Israel? The Bible gives a surprising and offensive answer to that question. It's the same reason any of us are a Christian in this room. It's not because we did it. Here's what, how the Bible answers its own question of why Israel? It's not because you were speaking to Israel more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all, but it's simply because the Lord loves you. It's almost the opposite of what you'd expect. I picked you because you're the tiniest, the smallest. If this church right here represented the world back then and God says, I'm going to fix this world and this is what I have to choose from. Tallest one, nope, Luke, you're out. Richest one, whoever you are, I don't know. I don't. Smartest, most degrees, doctors, lawyers, nope. I want the tiniest, most pathetic, most helpless person in here and I will do my saving through this person. Why does God do it that way? Because otherwise we take credit for it. We say, well, it's because I'm the tallest. I'm the smartest. I'm the most moral. But when he chooses Israel, he's making a point. You cannot save yourselves. You cannot console yourselves. That's why Simeon, all these years, he's got all the Jewish faith in his bones, and he's waiting still because he knows we can't fix ourselves. We need God to show up, and he does. And that's our first lesson we learned from Simeon. The waiting is over. I want to read how Simeon says it, verse 27 through 30. I'll read it, and then we'll look at a part of it on the screen. And then he came in the spirit into the temple. So this is Simeon, the man who's described as the waiting one. He comes into this temple. The nativity scene is now here, minus the animals. When the parents brought in child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him 
that's baby Jesus, up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Very his way. He took him up in his arms. This is baby Jesus. It really happened. Blessed God and said, you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. I have seen your salvation. Translation, like the most basic translation. Simeon says, I'm good. I can die now. I can go, take me anytime. I'm going in peace because I've seen the salvation I've been waiting for this whole time. I'm good. I can go now. The waiting is over. Is the waiting over for you? As you think about all the help you need in this world, have you thought about the fact that you and God need help? And you're not the one that's going to pull yourself up to him. God must come down and help you. He has in this baby Jesus whom salvation comes. Christians, the waiting is over. At some point, here's my prayer for you as a pastor here. It's going to be crazy. You're going to do whatever you're going to do tonight. Tomorrow, it's going to be a melee of family and friends. But at some point, I want you to have a quiet moment where you just sit and like Simeon, say in your own heart, I'm good. I can depart in peace. I have seen your salvation. The first Christmas is here. I'm set. But also in this room, there are people who are not Christians yet. Maybe people who use Christian to describe themselves as they check it off, but have never come to the realization that they need help from God. I just want to give you hope from this scene. This is how people become Christians. It's not from doing stuff or impressing God. Here's what Simeon did. It says he came in the spirit into the temple, and then the parents bring him baby Jesus and give him to him. Here's what happens. Here's what behind the scenes none of us really see. It's this magical reality. The Holy Spirit takes Simeon, and he takes him right to the face of Jesus. How do you become a Christian? How did I become a Christian? The Spirit of God was working in my life through my parents' divorce and girlfriends breaking up. Everything. The Spirit was moving me, moving me. Move. Where? Where was the Spirit taking me? To a better version of myself? Not quite. He was taking me to salvation. Jesus Christ. And I said, I trust you. I need help. I can't do this anymore. That's how you become a Christian. So I want to just give you space for a second here. Like, here's what a lot of people do. They say, pray this prayer. I want to become a Christian. And that's when I became a Christian. I think sometimes that's true. I think most of the time when we pray, when I was 18 and I prayed, what's happening is I'm confirming what God has been doing up to that moment. And it's already happened. And I'm just agreeing with what I've seen God do in my life. Some of you, your friends and family and books and circumstances and trials and tribulations have brought you to this moment where you know you need consolation. You need help. And Jesus is your only help. And you're a Christian, perhaps even in this moment. So I want to pause, just have everyone close their eyes for a second. And I just want to walk you through a simple prayer of faith in the face of Jesus. If this is you, if you feel like the Spirit's been leading you, here's something along the lines of what you could say. Father, I see my need for help. I see my inability to fix it, to fix smaller problems and for sure not fix the bigger problem of sin in my own heart and in my life. So I trust Jesus for my salvation. He is my salvation. He is my hope. I confess this to you now. Thank you, Lord, for Jesus Christ, my Savior. It's in his name I pray. Amen. Some of you may have prayed that right now. Some of you remembered when you prayed that a while back.
Either way, the waiting is over. There's no other place on which salvation is found other than the face of Jesus. However, I want to end with reality. Here's the final lesson I think Simeon teaches it. Some waiting still remains. Simeon is holding a baby, and he says, salvation is here. I can go now. Simeon never sees that baby get up on his own two feet. Never sees his first steps. He never sees his first miracle. He never sees his first healing. He never sees him turn water into wine. He never sees anything beautiful that Jesus does. More than likely, he dies pretty quickly after this moment. And yet he says, this is my salvation. And Jesus does so much more. He goes to a cross and dies for our sins. He gets placed in a real grave. He powerfully, by the Spirit, walks out of his own grave. The first and only human in history to walk out of their own grave. Simeon saw none of that. And some of you have salvation and you're still waiting for God to act, to move. As a church, we prayed for people in various seasons. We got people waiting on relationships. I think of all the single people here. Health stuff. I talked to multiple people after the first service. Just because you have Jesus and you've seen salvation does not mean life is fully set yet. That's also part of the Christmas story. We have the baby. Simeon had the baby. Here's what Christians have now. We no longer have a baby. We have a risen king that we do not see with eyes. We see with eyes of faith. And we hold him and we cherish him. And we say, this is salvation. The waiting is over. And yet, we can be honest, Christians. There's some waiting still. And that's why we're going to go and we're going to sing some more Christmas songs and we're going to wait another year. And maybe God shows up in the ways we want him to. And maybe not. But either way, like Simeon, we can say the ultimate waiting is over. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, who was waiting on the consolation of Israel. God, may we take on the spirit of Simeon in a fast-paced, never-satisfied, always-moving world of people who can wait And God, let us follow your Spirit's leading. Pray that we don't miss this. I pray for those in this room who may or may not really understand what it is to have a relationship with you, that the Spirit would continue to guide them to see Jesus fully for what he is. He's the consolation of Israel. He's the salvation of the whole world. He's the greatest gift this world has ever been given. And he's coming back. So in the meantime, we wait for him to return. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.